Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Nephilim Death Squad. Before we get started, I just want to... Uh, I just wanted to give you guys a heads up. Don't forget to go to um, YouTube or Rumble. If you guys are fans of the show, don't forget to subscribe, right? Because I know a lot of people listen, but you just kind of forget to subscribe. Uh, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, drop your boys a five-star review and, uh, and, and rating. Actually, you know what we should do? And we're not going to do it right now, but we should start reading some of these reviews because we get some pretty cool reviews. Uh, so if you leave a five-star review, we'll read it on air sooner or later. Uh, but if you want to see the show, grow, maybe. go ahead and go do that. Maybe, maybe if we get around to it, if we remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, if you're looking for another way to help the show grow, you can go to patreon.com backslash Nephilim Death Squad and you can join up at the $3 tier or the, uh, I believe it's the $7 tier or the $10 tier. And we don't know what those tiers get you yet. Uh, but keep an eye out in the Patreon because we will be dropping a promotional code soon for Nephilim Death Squad merch to get a little discount, uh, whereas other people won't. So that'll be exclusive to the Patreon subscribers. And while I got you guys here, I would like to shout out a few names to the uh, people who subscribed lately. Thank you to Brandon Sins. Uh, Hannah Passe, Pose, Pose, Hannah Pose, Patrick Shouts. Uh, Patrick is actually at the $10 a month um, ranking, which gets him Nephilim Hunter. We don't know what that means yet. Uh, Maya. <laughs> gets Miranda. him nothing, but thank you. <laughs> thank you very much, Pat. Uh, MK Ryan, Dan, P Bain, P Brain Parish, uh, Julia, and Greg. Slagle. These are all people who have signed up really recently. So I want to give you guys a big shout out. Thank you so much for the support. And like I said, keep an eye out for those promotional codes. And also, don't forget to go to toplobster.com and you will be able to find Nephilim Death Squad merch there. So we have all kinds of cool stuff. Top just worked on this super dope uh, Nephilim and Chill design, which I think is awesome. Uh, and just for a little inside baseball, that was inspired by a couple who was cuddling up on the couch and posted that they were getting ready to watch uh, Nephilim Death Squad together. So very cool. Go and pick yourself up a Nephilim and Chill shirt because there's no better way to treat the lady to a date night than uh, schizophrenic content by a couple of retards. Uh, oh, yeah. But any and merchandise like, that... Like you David was saying, we're going to do a promo code and uh, that promo code will get you 10% off of my stuff too. I'm going to be adding more to my collection as well. Just got a couple of things up here, some some cool stuff. Um, guys, if you do go to the website, make sure you click on it because there are more than one, uh, you know, item that you can get from from here. So, you, you know, there's like hoodies, T-shirts. You just got to kind of click around and take a look and you'll see a bunch of things. So please go check that stuff out. Yeah, I like uh, my I'm a personal fan of the reading is gay, but between that one the top lobster design and the chirp, it's like a really hard decision. I think I actually bought my reading is gay shirt before the chirp. And then I got really kind of bummed out. I was like, damn, dude, that would have been a good one. But yeah, I mean, if you click on the design, like for example, uh, going to the Nephilim death squad section, clicking on the design, it will then show you that design over multiple different products. So if you're a Patreon member, we're going to hook you up with a promo code soon. We don't know how much that's going to be for, but no, regardless Whatever merchandise you buy uh, from now to the end of January is going to land you in a raffle. 
And that raffle is going to make you eligible for a enhanced Royal Rife. Uh, it's called an enhanced Royal Rife machine. It's a frequency therapy device uh, made by Matt Rife, not the comedian. We're talking Matt Rife of realrifetechnologies.com. And here it is right here. Enhanced Royal Rife machine. The damn thing costs $5,500. People use it for all sorts of stuff. Top, you've been using your uh, Rife machine recently, right? I use it all the time. I have, yeah, he actually sent me this one. So I have used this one. I have the smaller one and I have the middle one. The, you know, I'll just, I'll just show it over here real quick. Hold on. Yeah, these are things that people are using for, to, to kind of deal with headaches and all kinds of ailments. And because of the FDA restrictions, you're not allowed to say certain things. Uh, so it has to go under the guise of therapy. But people swear by these. If you go to uh, realrifetechnologies.com and you click on the testimonies, uh, there's no shortage of them. People absolutely love these machines. They swear by them. We talk a lot about frequencies and the different capabilities of frequencies on the show very often. And it's very cool that we're aligned with somebody who literally uh, creates machines just for that. Oh, and the Rife Shield comfort blankets. How cool is that, too? I actually have mine. Uh, ah, damn it. I don't have it next to me. I had it next to me. Where'd it go? Maybe I do. I do. Never mind. I keep I mine. It. You don't You don't keep it over your nuts? I keep mine over my nuts whenever I'm, um, I'm podcasting, just in case the government wants to try to see it. Maybe I'll wrap one around my head like a like a koofy <laughs> or something like that. This is a, this is a new tinfoil yeah. hat, people. So just go ahead. You know, I feel like it's like one of these actually kind of. Yo, this is the new tinfoil hat. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, Bro, what is this called? Like a chic or like a beanie or something like that? I don't know. This thing is dope. It's definitely racist. But if you go to uh, realrifetechnology.com and you use promo code Nephilim at checkout, that's going to get you 10% off these products as well. So not only are you eligible if you buy our merchandise to win a Royal Rife machine, uh, enhanced Royal Rife machine, but you can also go to realrifetechnologies.com and go through all his various products. And all his products are, uh, they're geared around protecting you from uh, harmful frequencies and generating positive, helpful, therapeutic frequencies. So if yeah, you're this, into that sort of thing. This thing specifically acts as like a Faraday cage. So I will put this on my kids if my kids have, my, I don't like to give them my phone, but you know, it's 2024 and they're going to use it. Um, so I'll put this over them so it doesn't fry their testicles. It blocks frequencies from Wi-Fi, from Bluetooth. As a, Here you go, right here. From Bluetooth and from radio waves. Yeah, it was in the, nobody uses radio anymore, but, you know, just in case any of that shit's floating around. This stuff will, you know, at least minimize your exposure to it. So consider, consider it. I like it. It's, it makes for a great hat, too. <laughs> I, I actually lost a, a testicle uh, because of testicular cancer. And I can't help but wonder if it's like I have this really nasty habit of just putting my phone in my lap. If I would have done that over a Faraday blanket, uh, maybe I would have not lost my nut. And so if you want to avoid, I mean, you want to try to protect yourselves from these frequencies, uh, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, all these things. We have no idea. The jury's still out. We don't know what these things do to you over long-term exposure. I'm sure we're going to find out. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be terrible. But you can be proactive. You can go to realrifetechnologies.com and get not only things to protect you from these dangerous frequencies, but also things that are going to emit positive therapeutic frequencies, like the Enhanced Royal Rife machine that you can win if you buy NDS merch. So use promo code Nephilim at checkout. Save yourself 10% off and buy merch from toplobster.com. Get entered into the raffle. I think that's it. 
Yeah, let's start the show. What are we doing? <laughs> start, <laughs> this is boring. Doing, start dude? the show. <laughs> hey, play the music. Play the music. What do you press we play, David? We had music. I don't know. How, what are you talking? We have music <laughs> and cut. Oh, <laughs> we are being hypnotized by people like this. News readers, politicians, teachers, lecturers. We are in a country and in a world that is being run by unbelievably sick people. The chasm between what we're told is going on and what is really going on is absolutely... Oh yeah, dude. There's some Nephilim shit. It's like we all know what's going down, but no one's saying shit what happened to the home of the brave. Motherfuckers, they controlling us now, and no one's talking about it, man. It's not a big slave. And everybody's just walking around, heading the clouds, and won't awaken to a dead in the grave. But then it's too late, we need to be ready to raise up. Welcome to the end of day. Everybody is slaves, only some are aware that the government releasing poison. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Nephilim Death Squad. I am your host, David Lee Corbo, a.k.a. The Raven. This is Top Lobster. I hope everybody had a lovely New Year's. Uh, I know I did. It was a very cool time. There we go. What's up, Marshall? Um, joining us today is Aiden of The Lore Lodge. Aiden, before we get into things, can you uh, tell everybody a little bit about what it is that you do and where they can find your work? Sure thing. Uh, my name is Aiden Mattis. I am a, uh, a historian by trade. That is my my education, my training. And I make videos about unsolved, uh, uh, basically unsolved mysteries for the most part, whether that is people who disappeared under strange circumstances. I, you know, conspiracy theories about the, the true the true history of the world being written down in a book from 1965 and censored by the CIA. Uh it wasn't, it was not, it was just a, the ramblings of a madman. But um, yeah, so that's kind of what I do. Uh, you can find me at the Lore Lodge here on YouTube or my personal channel is just Aiden Mattis. And that's where I do some more streaming, uh, you know, reaction and gaming stuff. But yeah, so that's, that's who I am. That's what I do. I also have a background in religious studies. I am super excited, Aiden, uh, to have you on number one and number two, to have everything that I thought before or thought that I knew completely shit on. So this is like, <laughs> <laughs> just like five minutes before the show started, he's just schooling us on the Nephilim. I'm like, never heard of that. Never heard of that. Never heard of that. And I'm like, damn, I don't really know what I'm talking. I feel like maybe we should just end the stream now because like we're, we have no idea what we're talking about. So <laughs> you want to get the last words that he, he muttered before we started was he was like, uh, number one, that's not how you pronounce Nephilim. And number two, that's a stupid fucking name. You should rename the show. And then we rolled right into it. I said it. neither of those things. <laughs> Actually, history will prove. Aiden, if we go back, <laughs> I, did, I did not say you should cancel or rename the show. <laughs> that was you. Could you actually, could you give the fans, uh, the listeners a little, like, listen to a, a little bit of what you were just talking about in the pre-chat? Sure. Because you kind of ran through the idea of the name, the Nephilim, and if that is even accurate historically. Yeah. So the, uh, the whole concept of the Nephilim is... One of those things that really for the past 2000 years or so has been relegated to the, the upper echelons. That's kind of the ivory tower discussion is you've got people who are biblical scholars sitting down and they're like, OK, what does this passage actually mean? You get to a little bit later, uh, you know, the 1900s, even the 1800s, where you have the printing press is a pretty easily accessible thing for people. 
the Bible is now a very accessible thing for people. They can go and pick one up at a local hardware store. They don't need to go and find their family's heirloom Bible from the Middle Ages, crack it open and figure out how to read Old English in the first place. Uh, not Old English, but, you know, early modern. So you get a series of people who start to look more deeply into everything. And they look at, all right, well, here, this text says this. And this one says something different. How do we reconcile these? How do we talk about them? And what you get is suddenly this topic that has been pretty exclusively reserved to the elite within that group, uh, you know, the priests, the deacons, the cardinals, uh, with, within the Protestant churches, you know, some of the higher level pastors, elders and things like that. Suddenly that is being discussed by the common man. And then with the evolution of the internet, it goes into overdrive and you've got all right, well, one person heard this about Nephilim and then went and looked at looked it up and they got something from another random site and so on and so forth until you have millions of people with different views on what these things are. The version that has sort of made its way into the, the public consciousness is that Nephilim are essentially demigods, that they are the offspring of angels and individual humans. And usually this splits into two main camps. One of them is the ancient astronauts, Zechariah Sitchin. Like uh, these were the, the people from the planet Nibiru who came down and they created human beings as a slave race. And these are the Nephilim, uh, you know, because the, the Hebrew word Nephal means to come down. So that's that's why these are these are the heavenly beings. These are the same thing as the Watchers, essentially. They're aliens who came here to enslave humanity. The other view is a bit more the biblical side, which is that... Uh, these were angels who were assigned to humanity to watch over us, to keep us on the right path. And that this group called the Watchers, this is all from the book of Enoch. Uh, this is not in the Bible. This is in the Apocrypha. So in Enoch, the Watchers, they decide, mm, I'm not really, not really vibing with this whole just being a babysitter thing. I think we could be gods. And if we, if we agree that, any punishment visited upon any of us must be visited upon all of us. God can't really punish us all, right? You know, they, they can't arrest us all if we try to storm Area 51. You um, they do all get arrested. And in this case, being arrested means that you are chained underneath a mountain being basically turned into a rotisserie chicken for all of eternity. Uh, that's specifically for the rebellious angels. That's not what's supposed to happen to us. But that's kind of the biblical view is these guys came down, they had children with human women and those children were the Nephilim, these half angel beings who have extraordinary powers who are exceptionally large in Enoch. They're like 10,000 feet tall and they have relations with animals and children and they eat human beings. It's they're, they're true, genuine monsters. The Bible itself is a little bit more tame. I'll, I'll read you the, the literal translation. It is, uh, this is Genesis chapter six. And it came about that men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were good and they took wives for themselves of all that they chose. And Jehovah said, my spirit shall not always strive with man in their erring. He is flesh. And in his days shall be 120 years. The giants were in the earth in those days. And even afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore to them, they were heroes which existed from ancient time, the men of name. So the Nephilim are clearly not the guys that came down from the sky. They're the ones that were born here as a result of people coming down from the sky. 
Is this why, you know, like human beings, we seem to have this integral. One of the things that's part of our stories over and over again is like this idea of banging the babysitter. Like it's hardwired into our psyche is this idea of having sex with the babysitter. And now it's starting to, it's like a throwaway kind of like uh, cultural trope that all of a sudden I just found a home for. And it now seems much more important than just some like throwaway mechanism in a Hollywood movie. But it's Mm -hmm. actually because they were the worst babysitters and they came eventually they were like, I don't want to watch these kids anymore. (laughs) Yeah, it's. I'm going to fuck these kids. <laughs> yeah, basically what happened. I, I should I should clarify before anybody uh, gets gets too excited or uh, gets angry at me. The the Enoch, the, the Sitchin explanation is is pretty roundly like, no, these are not aliens who came down to this planet. There is no mention of Nibiru in the ancient Sumerian texts. Sitchin did not know what he was talking about. That's kind of the general consensus. Um, with the, the Nephilim, the biblical issue, it's a little bit more complicated. The... There's my camp, which believes that this is, in fact, describing angels coming down and uh, procreating with human beings. The other camp is that, and I have full respect for this camp as well, I just disagree with it. The other camp is that the sons of God is not referring to the angels, but to the line of Seth, whereas yes, so, the daughters of men are the god, the ungodly line of Cain. I don't love that one. My cousin's husband came from that exact uh, angle at me. And I was like, that's the first that I've really ever heard of that. It's either people that are like, I have some aunts that are pastors in churches. They really, they don't even look into Genesis six. They're like, mm-hmm. we're more about salvation. And that's like, you know, pretty widely spread. It's either um, in our camp um, about salvation. And now I'm like, for the first time I've heard that. And I was, I was kind of perplexed by it. And he said that it was from the, yeah, from the line of Seth. I'm not exactly sure what, mm-hmm. break that down. What do they think? Yeah, it's so this is I'm not as well versed in this explanation. Um, so forgive me if I if I'm imperfect in it. But their belief is that this is a a much more symbolic kind of language. And that when we're talking about the godly line of Seth, well, they're godly because Seth was the replacement son for Abel. And, you know, Seth's people were faithful and they did the right thing and they tried to live by the whatever commandments they had because there's basically nothing there. We have no idea what the rules were for these people. Um, there's just kind of, you, you can infer, well, based on what the 10 commandments are, they probably had something similar. And we know that murder is a bad, that that's not a good one. Murder's <laughs> bad. Um, that's basically the first commandment in the Bible is don't kill. Uh, or don't murder. I should say their argument is that Cain, because he murdered, uh, murdered Abel and was put away from God and forced to wander the earth for eternity and so on and so forth, that his children were ungodly and that Seth's children, his offspring were godly. And that what caused the flood, what caused the wickedness of man was that these two groups of people began to interbreed, which previously had not been done. And once they did so that inherent wickedness in Cain's line polluted the godly purity of Seth's line. And that created these men of renown who these mighty men who were capable of great acts, either of good or of evil. And that God basically went, eh, this, this is kind of an irretrievable situation. We got to start over from scratch. I'm going to find the one guy, the one righteous guy. And that's, that's Noah. Uh, Noah, of course, 
there's this the common the common description that you'll get all through school, uh, Sunday school, and you know religious education. You'll typically hear if you are not in a scholarly setting, if you're not in a discussion setting, you're just in a, a classroom lecture kind of thing. What you'll typically hear is that Noah was the only sinless man on earth. Well, original sin, he can't be sinless. So what does righteous mean? Does that mean he's the least sinful man on earth? Gets kind of into the weeds here. This is all getting very vague and ambiguous. How could that possibly be the explanation? The alternative is that what, what it actually says, let me, uh, let me see if I can grab this really quick. Um, da, da, da. all right. We're going into this idea that he was, um, perfect within his generations or yes, or, precisely. These yeah, are the generations okay. of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. That, that terminology is too specific to be accidental. Yeah. It's talking about Earth, bloodline. It's talking about bloodline in my opinion. So what that means is that Noah's family Noah specifically, at least, had no either, again, this is either the ungodly line of Cain or the angels or the watchers. He has none of that DNA. He's untouched, which means that whatever inherent sinfulness is in the DNA of Cain's line, whatever inherent evil is there, Noah doesn't have it. And therefore, his children don't have it. So you get you can start over fresh. There's, of course, plenty of arguments over how literal is this story supposed to be? Was it really just Noah and his family on that ark? Was it Noah as the patriarch of a tribe or a clan that was on that ark? Is it really two of every animal? Are we talking about just the local animals? Um, was this perhaps something more complicated than we're being told? There's also the question of when did all of this happen? <laughs> it, it also took him 120 to, oh, years. Ahead, 120 years to build this thing, which is so that's uh, that's the other thing is, is that is that what that is saying? Or is it like th this is the issue with the Bible is there's there's so much time dilation. Yeah. There's very few instances where you're given a specific set of months. You're at best given years. And even then, mm -hmm. it's hard to tell if this is some form of numerology, some form of symbolism. Did Adam actually live nearly a thousand years or is this, uh, you know, Adam's tribe lasted that long? Like, what does this mean? So with, uh, with regard to, to the, uh, the timing, it's unclear what is meant by that. It could be that God was saying you have 120 years to prepare. Could also be that God is saying, uh, mankind will no longer live for hundreds and hundreds of years. You're, you, you're capped at 120. Um, you know, there's, there's a few possibilities. All of them have pretty, pretty good theological backing for the most part. Um, those are the two big ones though, is either God was saying man's lifetime is now shortened considerably, or this is how long you have. Uh, Noah is supposedly he, he preached about this and told people it was coming and nobody listened to him. One of the things that I always find compelling is for the argument, um, of the Nephilim being the mixing of the human, uh, women with the fallen angels is that you do see that echoed in Greek mythology, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, that's how you get all your demigods. And mm -hmm. I'm of the contention that, I guess contention's a strong word. I, I like to entertain the idea that uh, these entities could have existed, but they're just renamed, because you'll find that, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's one entity who's in charge of 
you know, agriculture in the rains or something like that, or another one who oversees, right. you know, war and things of that nature. And these entities, you'll find a representative of those attributes across many different cultures. Um, and I like to toy with the idea, it's certainly not my idea, that these are just the same entities going by a different name. Mm-hmm. And so when you see, uh, you know, for example, the idea of like the seraphim, right? This like shape-shifting race of angels. Uh, and then you look at Zeus, who, what, shape-shifts into a swan, I believe it is, and then digs mm-hmm. down some lady, and she gives birth to... Uh, I, I what is it? is is that how you got who's the guy Perseus? I'm not sure if that's how you got Perseus. I but am that's so how you bad get. on my Greek mythology these days. It's been a long time since I read Percy Jackson. Yeah, <laughs> I might be, <laughs> I might be uh, mincing, you know, the the formula for one demigod over another. But I know that that is uh, part of the lore, right? Is that mm-hmm. Zeus? He transforms apparently into a very irresistible swan. Pays yeah. some lady a visit. She's like, I like the look of this swan. Uh, and then gets dicked down by the swan. And then, you know, that's where you get your sort of, once again, your, your men of renown, and your heroes of old, yeah. right? And Zeus, so, Zeus is a horny motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, he does a lot of animal stuff too. I just don't know. Like, that's like, I don't know what ladies were into back you know in the what? day, but he's like, I know how to get her. While uh-huh. we're here, while we're here, um, let's just bring the conversation right over to some really weird stuff. Um, cryptids. Yes. Are these are these products of the fallen? Because like we know that they like to do some animal stuff. We just spoke to LA Marzuli and I'm completely convinced that they're doing some kind of hybrid breeding stuff and they've been doing it for a long time. What are you thinking about this? Have you have you covered this? He's he's flipping through papers right now for the listeners. So yes, he's covered it. I love that this dude has like just he's got everything you bring up. He's like, actually, I have got reference material. And I've got all these over. books too. All within I've never read reach. them. You can't see much of it because it's. Uh, it, I'm gonna wait for my girlfriend to walk past. But um, there's there's a whole a whole bookshelf right here. Oh my god! Like, there yeah. you go. And he's just pulling all his reference material. Yeah, right it's not within range. A, a whole station. Yeah, these are all my 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 hardcovers. <laughs> the uh, yeah. Let me see though, because it's. I, I want to have one thing up in front of me for uh, for what you just said. But yes, Ella. Sorry, the husky. The husky is speaking. Oh, good. Um, oh, yeah, so even hear for it. the, uh, yeah, for the, uh, I'm blanking. What were we talking about? Uh, we were cryptids. saying the, the, yes, yeah, the, the, idea of the, cryptids. the breeding experiment thing. I think, I think it's a super interesting subject because the, the term cryptid refers to something that is, I uh, said to exist, believed to exist, but science has come up with no proof that it exists yet. So this kind of applies to things like Bigfoot, the Chupacabra. Um, there's, uh, I, I guess, uh, Loch Ness Monster would count for this as well. Sort of those things that are very well-known folktales that seem like they could be real, but they're not. There's just something in there that it hasn't quite been proven. Um, this is why things like the Fleshgate and the Rake are not cryptids. They are internet horror stories. The flesh gate does not appear in any, you know, there's no, you're not going to go back to 1500, you know, search through the woods and find a little Native American community that tells you about the flesh gate. It's just not going to happen. You might find them talking about the Wendigo, though, which is why you have characteristics of the flesh gate that are so similar to the Wendigo, Skinwalkers, uh, the Goatman, all of these different things that kind of get mixed into one. We have a video on that, actually, that's basically titled exactly that, like what you get when you mix the Wendigo, Skinwalkers, and uh, and the Goatman. Um so in my opinion, 
I don't know that I would necessarily say that I think that there's a lot of uh, you know mixed breeding projects going on. I will say I am not opposed to the idea that uh, that there is some sort of force out there creating weird stuff out in the forests or in the depths of the earth and all of that. But what I think is uh, is most interesting to look at in terms of what can kind of cross that bridge between people who are very interested in the supernatural and people who are more interested in anthropology and the sciences behind it. When you look at something like uh, Bigfoot, what's what's Bigfoot's Native American name? Yowie? Sasquatch. 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 Oh, oh. Yowie is actually an Australian one. Um, not oh, too far right, off, right. but yes, Yowie is the Australian one. So Bigfoot's called Sasquatch. Well, that that comes to English from a even more Native American term, Sasquets. Sasquets were believed to be these large humanoids. We're talking six and a half, seven feet tall, um, who lived out in the forests of British Columbia. And they were said by the uh, the Chehalish people, hey, these guys live out in the caves. Don't go near their caves. They're very dangerous. They're very fast. They're very strong. Uh and they seemed unable to agree. They were speaking to a man named J.W. Burns, a Canadian journalist and teacher, and they seemed unable to agree. Are these are these natives like us? Are these the word they used was strange Indians? Are they just are they us but with a different culture, or are these a different kind of person? Yes, yes, you're good. All right, okay, sounds good. Today's sponsor is NadeauShaveCo.com. That's N-A-D-E-A-U Shaveco.com. Do you want to not look like a mangy animal? Uh, do you have a nice date coming up or an event that you want to go to and you want to shave like a man? Are you tired of being strangled by Big Shave, companies like Gillette and what the hell else is out there? I really don't know. Uh, telling you that you need five blades. You don't need five blades. You only need one blade, dude. Go to NadeauShaveCo.com and pick yourself up a stainless steel razor with changeable straight razor blades, only one of which you're going to need in order to look good for whatever you got coming up. Let's go through this a little bit real it's quick. Actually, we can- really funny. Here's a good testimony from just from what's going on right now. If you even argue with someone who's not doing a proper shave, you will get flagged. You will get shadow banned. Don't even <laughs> talk to these people. If they're using the dough, then you could, I mean, fight with them, be friends with them. But these people that are raggedy looking, don't fuck with them at all. And don't be that person either. Using the dough shave code. Look at this. We've got, <laughs> I think, I think we're giving like 15% off on this stuff. It's really good. 15% off. Yeah. 15, uh, when you yeah. use um, promo code Nephilim. Andrew's going to give you uh, the standard issue here. And it comes with a billion razors, literally a bill. I've counted each one, one billion razors. You'll never run out. There's five-star reviews like crazy. I use it to trim up my beard line underneath my neck. I don't, and I, I never really cut myself either. I've, I've learned how to use this stuff. It's a quality razor. It's a quality handle. It's just really good stuff. And I, I, we're lucky to even be like associated with this guy. So go out there, show him some support, pick up a razor, tell him that we sent you. Tell him. Yeah. We one sent of the things you. that I learned recently from Nadeau is that the more blades, uh, that's actually the cause of like razor bumps and shit. I did not know that. So I've been using this single blade jammy and no razor bumps, no ingrown hairs. And honestly, the dude gives you like a hundred straight razors, 
Uh, and you're never <laughs> you're never going to run through all of them. You won't have to re-up for like another year. So uh, go to NadeauShaveCo.com. It's veteran owned. It's made in America. What else could you possibly want? And also it feels cool and old timey to shave with it. I'm not going to lie. I, I do like the vibe of it. I don't like all these futuristic five blade uh, razors. So go to NadeauShaveCo.com and use promo code Nephilim on checkout to save yourself 15% off. Okay, sounds good. Love you too. Bye. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. The uh, So these Saskets that are said to live out in the forests sounds a lot like kind of that modern conception of Bigfoot, but maybe a little bit less hairy ape man and a little bit more divergent human humanoid, hominid. Uh, so I wonder, you know, we keep figuring out, oh, the natives were actually here a lot longer than we thought they were. First, it was 13,500 years. Now it's about 25,000 years. Uh, who knows? It could go back as 50,000 or even 120,000 years. We, we could be looking at human beings being on this continent for a very, very, very long time, which also means we know that there were Denisovans. Those were hominids uh, around the, who lived around the same time as Neanderthals. We know that they were over in Siberia. Who's to say they also weren't over in North America? Who's to right. say something similar to that that we just haven't discovered yet wasn't here? And could it be that whatever that was, it survived long enough to work itself into the oral traditions of modern Native Americans? So I look at that angle and I'm like, all right, maybe maybe that's what we're dealing with here. I like to I, I like to try and stay more on the scientific side of the supernatural. So that we, I want to, I want to always create that entry point where science and superstition can kind of meet in the middle and say, all right, let's pursue this. And for me, that's kind of how I look at cryptids is, all right, well, what, what inspired this story? Because it could be in some cases that it was inspired by something very real. We might, if somebody told you at a bar that, you know, they had run into a venom spitting giant lizard. And they gave you some some silly name for it, like the Snallygaster. Well, you might say that's <laughs> ridiculous, but those exist. They're they're Komodo dragons and monitor lizards like they're real. So a lot of these things that we look at and we say, oh, that's that's supernatural. That's a ghost story, whatever. A lot of that stuff could very well be at the very least based on something real that grew and evolved over time into something more legendary. Or it could just be a very accurate description of something that we don't know is there yet. I think you know, one we, of the reasons that we brought up the the cryptids is because we're going into this realm of discussion with you about uh, missing four one one, and I, I I don't know if you're I'm sure you are aware that the theory surrounding it. What's the gentleman's name? David. Um, David Politis. David Politis. It seems as though, and I don't want to put words in his mouth. Um, I might be mincing ideas here from one. Uh, source to another but mm -hmm. it seems as though his theories on the whole thing have evolved in a direction that includes uh essentially possibly cryptids and mm -hmm. portals dimensional slips things of that nature and you know I, I i speculate as to whether or not the reason for that jump is because and i love the idea it's a mm -hmm. sexy idea it's a lot of fun but i do speculate as to whether or not it's because of a lack of concrete evidence or or any other answer uh that you would start to explore these these realms mm -hmm. essentially what are you what are your thoughts on the entire for folks that don't know missing 411 I, I highly recommend checking out the docuseries i guess it's a docuseries yeah um and it's about these very um 
unique missing persons cases in national forests and national parks where uh, the distance traveled by the missing person seems to be, uh, it doesn't match up with the time frame uh, within which they're missing. In other words, to get to point A to point B would have taken an astronomical amount of time, and they don't believe that a, a person, number one, could do it in the time frame, and number two, could traverse the kind of treacherous landscape that is between the points, um, especially given the age of some of the people who are missing. There's all kinds of very bizarre circumstances where they will sweep an entire, let's just say, uh, mountainside and find nothing, and then suddenly in a very obvious place, uh, the belongings of the person will suddenly appear well after the search is over and be discovered by someone who's just kind of out there, you know, uh, exploring or or fishing or hunting. Um, and also, th there is no discernible signs of uh, struggle or injury. So sometimes they'll find their belongings, but there's no blood. There's nothing like... I believe in one case, they even found uh, the clothing of one of the missing people kind of folded up and and placed mm. nicely on a, on a log and so it is strange what david polites has done is he's mapped these missing persons cases all out and he's drawn correlation uh where i suppose someone could make the argument there is none but in his mind these are all connected and the thread that connects them is the mysterious circumstances of the disappearances so i'd be really interested in hearing your take do you go into this paranormal supernatural thing is that even uh an appropriate terminology for this because it might just be something that we don't understand yet and so the supernatural and paranormal mm -hmm. are, are often things that are not defined by science but may yet be at some point uh, i'd be interested in hearing your take on that sure yeah so i think i think that I, uh, the one of the best ways to refer to basically anything in in paranormal or supernatural uh in that world is to look at it as kind of being stuff science hasn't figured out yet because chances are whatever that story is, there is some sort of realistic explanation for what happened. And when I say realistic, I don't mean that there can't be some sort of thing we don't understand. I mean that eventually we will be able to understand it. All, all science, all sufficiently advanced science looks like magic to people who don't understand it. You know, I, I, I'm going to level, I, we live in the year 2023 or 2024 now, I guess. I still oh, don't yeah. really understand how electricity works and I probably <laughs> never will. Like I, I understand how currents, you know, like, yeah, this is direct current. This is alternating current and you need one to make sure it goes along for a longer period of time because it'll dissipate and you know, the, it goes into my wall socket and then it powers my device. I get that part. The, the physics of generating electricity and how it functions totally lost on me. Um, so, you know, to, to me, that's that might as well be magic. I'm aware that there is a way to do it, but there is also a spell for something. So it's really there's, funny. There's, an, there's a recipe. One of our good friends, uh, Matt Reif, who mm -hmm. owns uh, Real Reif Technology, he's dealing in this kind of stuff like Tesla coil energy and stuff like that. He's He was telling me about this argument that he was having with Dr. Parkenstein, another dude who's dabbling. Yeah, he's like dabbling in this like uh, this kind of electricity stuff that I don't mm -hmm. understand. They're yep. saying that they're sending electricity through the ground 900 miles to another state mm -hmm. and it's picking up the signal because, and I'm just like, he's telling me, I'm like, not a fucking clue. Yeah. I barely know <laughs> that I can plug something. I, it's amazing. I can plug something in my house and it works. Mm -hmm. And there's people at that, at that level where I'm just like sitting, I'm sitting nope. and watching. No, no idea. idea. 
I could not <laughs> could not replicate it. Couldn't tell you how to do it. If an alien race appeared on Earth today and asked us how electricity works, I I could not tell them. Um, <laughs> I was driving the other day and I was listening to uh, Stevie Nicks or what's the band she used to have uh, Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. And there's this song on the on the edge of seventeen. I think it is. It's an mm-hmm. awesome song. I love this song. It's like a guilty pleasure of mine. But I'm driving and I'm thinking, like, dude, if you went back to like the 1700s and all of a sudden dropped a stage with Stevie Nicks and she played this song, people would fucking die. They would just (laughs) die. They wouldn't be able, it would be such an overload. So yeah, that would be magic. They'd be like, I don't know, these fucking uh, wizards just got on on a a big platform and they started playing sound at us and the sound was certainly of the devil. And yeah, and my aunt died before my eyes. It would be Astro World. So it's very interesting that you bring up wizards because that term... Obviously, you know, we have Harry Potter. Now we all think about wizards as guys with wands who cast spells and all of that. The term wizard back in the Middle Ages, when it developed, meant wise man. And these wizards were alchemists and astrologers and and, uh, potion makers. And all of that sounds very magical and bippity-boppity. And, you know, you got Macbeth and the witches stirring their pot. But if you look at what these people were actually doing, well, what is alchemy? We all think about it as turning lead into gold, right? But what what is alchemy actually? What is the process of taking one material and turning it into another one? It's it's material science. It's texture. chemistry. It's yeah. chemistry. Yeah, it's chemistry. The term alchemy comes from alchemy. The term chemistry comes from chemi. Like they're they're the same they're the same root word in Arabic. Because they're the same thing. Just alchemy was a little bit more more hoodoo. You know, like, all right, well, if we mix these things, maybe we'll turn this into this. It was very similar with potion making. I mean, think about what potion makers did. You come to your your potion maker, your your court potion maker, and you say, hey, um, I have some aches, and I've had a, a, a lot of, you know, my nose has been running recently. And they say, oh, I'll whip something up for that. And they take a whole bunch of herbs, uh, maybe maybe some powders of certain heavy metals, and maybe like, I don't know, bone dust or something. They grind it up. They mix it with some water. They create a tincture. They create a beverage. Anything along those lines. And what do you end up with? Well, you end up with a pharmaceutical drug. That's what potion makers were. They were apothecaries is probably the right term for it. But they were pharmacists. They were they were people who put together mixtures to solve ailments. Uh, and then you have astrologers. Well, what are astrologers? Obviously, today, astrology is something that you know, 20 year old white girls do to make sure that they're compatible with their boyfriend. Thousand years ago, it was astronomy. It was looking at events that have happened. Well, what position were the stars in when it happened? Are the stars in that position now? Could it be that we're witnessing the same event repeating itself? That was astrology. So you're seeing a, and of course there were people doing all the weird stuff too, but the point is all of this old magic, as we describe it, was in fact science. It was just a very rudimentary form of it that today to us would look like kids playing in, you know, playing with baking materials. But to them back then, three field crop rotation was a new thing. Being like, oh, my God, if we leave one field barren for a year, it'll come back twice as fertile. Let's do it. Hmm. That was new around 1000 AD. Like, What's interesting is that was new. Um, and now we're obviously dealing with like much more advanced techniques for agriculture. And at the same time, when you're looking at the pyramids and whatever that was, whatever was going on there, uh, we're not even, we're not even able to replicate how they got those stones there. 
with with modern yeah, trucks and heavy machinery. So yeah, it's like for me, it's like a give and take, right? I'm like, mm-hmm. like yeah, in, in a lot of ways we have made advancements, but in a lot of ways, maybe we've forgotten a lot of stuff. So yeah, the the pyramids are one of those things that I, I took all I'll be honest, I took one Egyptology course in college and I dropped it because I got lost. The names are so foreign, the dynasties overlap, like Hmm. it's really complicated keeping it all together. I'm sure if I had taken a, a few months and really sat down and focused, but it was like my sixth course that semester. I just wasn't, it's not about it. Uh, it. It really is one of those things that people have come up with methods that could have worked. It's just, is that method remotely efficient for doing this? And right, the answer is usually scale. no. Like the, yeah. the method of, okay, well, we're going to, take a copper saw and we're going to go throw sand into the sawing point, And then we're going to sluice it with water as we saw. And that's going to get us through the block. Well, yeah, that'll get you through the block, but it's going to take a long time. Yeah. Right. And, and also why they choose such the a precision? hard type of stone. <laughs> yeah. The precision that they did it with. There's also that mm-hmm. idea of like wetting the sand and sliding these things over almost like it's skiing over the sand. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that they come up with, but it's like, yeah, does this work? you know, at scale, mm-hmm. uh, when you're, when you're talking about however many blocks over however many megalithic structures. Yeah. And then the other thing too, is it's, it's weird because, you know, the courses, the way I look at it is like, when you have guys like Randall Carlson and, and Graham Hancock, take what you want from their theories, mm-hmm. but it's very clear that the, the verdict is still out. Yeah. And to, to saddle someone down with debt and say, take this class and we're going to tell you what it is. I don't know necessarily what that class is like, right? But I imagine there's a lot of, um, there's certainly, a, you you become vested hmm. in the information that you've been given because you have a monetary investment in it. And then that you can see that's what kind of creates the, like the gatekeeper system that exists mm-hmm. in archaeology, right? The same thing that uh, Randall Carlson is allegedly, uh, you know, butting up against constantly is these are, are these gatekeepers that tell anybody who has an alternative theory that, you know, it's completely out the window. And it's just we're, we're probably going to get to the point where 50 years from now, much of what uh, Carlson, ex- you know, suggested what with the uh, the redoing of the Sphinx and the 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 water erosion suggesting that it's like, I don't even know how many thousands of years, like 12,000 years something like that. And and I wouldn't be surprised if we're going to be sitting in a, in a climate when it comes to archaeology and history, we're like, oh yeah, that's the accepted science now. Mm-hmm. And so it's always that thing of like, you know, who knows when you go to, uh, to, to take these classes, what you're being inundated with, and then also what sort of information you're going to go on to protect and covet because of the monetary investment. Today's sponsor is Heaven's Harvest. I should bring it up. Boom. Uh, you can go to heavensharvest.com and get yourself all sorts of super dope prep food, emergency survival food. They have buckets of, uh, of freeze dried fruit. I'm sorry, freeze dried food. Uh, but it's really high quality stuff. Uh, you might find that some of the competitors actually have, uh, kind of crap with a lot of fillers in it. And Heaven's Harvest goes above and beyond to make sure that they have quality food included in their, uh, in their buckets as well as um freeze dries freeze dried fruit you got a you got a bunch of this stuff right top i, I got a bunch of it as well and uh yeah i don't, I don't, I don't know I which you got ones the same stuff 
I know. I hope they didn't tote us. I, they, <laughs> yeah, they, I think they gave us the same stuff. It's, it's high quality stuff. It's better than the, I have these other black buckets from some other place that I bought, but the ingredients are definitely better than the stuff that they're included, that was included in that old stuff. They also sent us some heirloom seeds, which is really cool. You know, if you're, if you're into farming or uh, just your own like little garden or whatever, these seeds are going to do you good. They're probably, they'll sprout at a higher rate than the seeds that you'll buy at Home Depot. And plus the seeds that you buy at Home Depot are government seeds. The whole reason you're doing this is to get away from this kind of shit. So I'm really appreciative of that. That that season is coming soon as winter's wearing off. You're going to want to get some of these and put them in the ground. Um, this is also, this is pretty cool too. I found out that they had some water storage and water filtration systems. Unfortunately, yeah, I just bought a water filtration system. Yeah, and it's good, but I wish I would have known because I would have went with uh heaven's harvest some of their stuff here is really like it looks really good and actually look you could you could actually buy this and and like travel with it so that's awesome well, I, I think that's even one of those uh straws they have down there too right there portable water filtration uh radiology advanced uh ph very interesting so you can these are things that you can actually take with you on the go so heaven's harvest has all kinds of stuff i know whenever we we get to talking about sort of the end of the not the end of the world but you know all these scary things that are happening in the news and the price of food and all these different things that are constantly happening that that kind of threaten your way of life um, you always get afraid of whether or not you're prepared enough. And having something like this is when you buy from Heaven's Harvest, what you're really buying, my fucking fat cat, uh, is um, is peace of mind. You know what I mean? It's like when we were over your house, uh, seeing your garden, I was like, man, that's nice. You know what I mean? To have like you have chickens, you have a garden. And that really is just like one of the many things you can check off to kind of feel better about what's going on in the world. And Heaven's Harvest has you covered in that way when it comes to water filtration, when it comes to heirloom seeds, and when it comes to food preparation, uh, you're not going to find a better website. You can go to Heaven's Harvest, and upon checkout, you can use promo code Nephilim, that's N-E-P-H-I-L-I-M, at checkout, and that's going to get you 5% off. These are high-ticket uh, items, but there's really no um, price that you can put on peace of mind and and just kind of putting those those fears at ease so go to heavensharvest.com use promo code nephilim and get yourself five percent off at checkout yeah it's uh, there's definitely a significant degree of that within the fields and this this applies to mine as well with history uh part of the problem is that in these jobs when you go and you get your history degree what your future looks like is essentially one of three things you are going to be a professor, you are going to be an archivist, or you are going to be a, uh, a museum curator. Those are like your three main options when you get a history degree. Archaeologists have the benefit of they can also go and do field work. There's really no history. Historians can't really do field work. What is field work for us? <laughs> going to the library. So <laughs> that's what professors do. Archaeologists have the benefit of being able to go into the field, but Part of the issue there is when you are getting into it, well, first, uh, let's take historians because that's what I'm most familiar with. Uh, if I were to have gone the, the typical route, then I got out of school and I took a year off to work private sector, try and make a little bit of money and then go back. Uh, you go back or you go straight in and you get your master's degree. And while you're getting your master's degree, you get uh, you work as a TA. 
So you are probably either going to be teaching a very low level course or possibly you're going to be teaching, you're going to be uh, assisting with a grad course or a an undergrad course, something like that, uh, that is below your year. Very rarely you'll see a master's student get to teach their own course, but that's usually like a review kind of class. You get your master's degree. Now you can be an adjunct. Adjuncts make like 20 grand a year. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So yeah, you get paid by the class. You don't get paid for being a professor. You get paid by the class you teach. So you don't make a ton of money. You're usually teaching at two or three schools all in the same area, running back and forth, you know, day to day. More you than do likely that for, still paying off debt. Oh, yeah. You do that for five to 10 years while you get your PhD. And if you're lucky, you get your PhD in just five years uh, in the U.S. It's a lot quicker over in Britain. They have no like real reason to keep you there because they don't hold their academics to quite as high of a standard. Uh, and they also are it's free. So um, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I, I remember I was talking to students at the the U.K. school I was going to get my master's degree at and every single uh, other foreign student everyone who was from another european country but particularly people who had gone to school in both the us and the uk told me that by far i would probably be the best educated person out of all of the students in every single one of my classes uh because the american education system once you get to college is considerably more rigorous and only the people that come out at the top of their classes here in the us go to school over in the uk so you're getting like the best of the best American students going over there to do their grad schools. Uh, and usually you're doing that because you want to be around the history you're studying. But say you you work, you, you spent six years getting your, your undergrad and your master's. You are now 24, 25 years old. You then start your PhD program, which takes you another five years. Hopefully you are 30 years old. You got a job at the university that had a position open. You are making 50 grand. Jeez, man. What incentive is there to break from the system that is going to make sure you live? There's because extreme you hit incentive that point, from the what, other well, side. Well, no, exactly. <laughs> so when, when you get there, what you're facing down is, if I go outside of the mainstream, if I break away from what is acceptable, I will likely never work in academia again. I will probably be never. Exactly. You'll, you will be so ridiculed, so criticized that you will never have the opportunity to come back, which means that college that's employing you as a professor is not going to pay off your student loans. They're not going to give your kids free tuition. They are not going to provide you with tenure that keeps your job secured. You know, maybe it's a lower salary, probably 80 to 100 grand, but it's going to keep you secure forever you so even that. if it's not by design it is still maybe mm -hmm. let's call it accidentally the most effective uh, indoctrination machine mm -hmm. yeah accidentally yeah. machine it's yeah. an it's an it's an indoctrination machine because it, it it literally by short of threat of violence tells you what you have to believe or mm -hmm. it's it's or else you know aiden i was going to ask why you started doing uh, your show and you just explained yeah. you, you gave us the whole backstory of it and man I'm 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 glad that you're super successful with it man and and it, it does open up another lane for historians and people with this kind mm -hmm. of inclination yeah. to like actually explore ideas and that's beautiful man even if you know you're gonna shit all over what I think I just <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I meaning love to it. I'm 
No, I'm, I'm joking with you, man. Yeah. Half of what I say is, is retarded. The other half is, is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's frustrating and it's a little frightening looking at it. I remember I tell this story a lot, but I was sitting in a classroom uh, about a year ago, I guess, and uh, a, a retired professor who had worked in both uh, academia and in the media as you know, he was a radio host. Um, he basically came in and he was sitting, he was talking to our class. It's probably 15 of us, uh, maybe less, uh, grad students at Westchester university in Pennsylvania. And he comes in he's kind of going down the list and he's talking about his experiences. And then he starts asking us what we want to do. Why are we in grad school? Most of the answers are one of two things. Either I'm planning to be a professor or I am in secondary education or primary education. And I am doing my continuing education, which is where the school basically pays them to go and get more education, to, to work on master's courses. Um, those are the two primary reasons. The secondary school teachers were told, good, you're, you know, you should probably look at taking some courses that are, you know, be, be more picky, maybe take something that's really going to give you a, he- a heavy bargaining chip. You know, if you're in social studies, go take a psych course because you might be, that might help you take, take on another class, get paid more, that kind of thing. To all the kids who wanted to be professors, he basically told them, you're in for a rough ride. You're, you're going to struggle. There's not a lot of positions open. The professors that are in their 60s are not going anywhere for the next 20 years. The ones who are younger than that are the majority, and they're not going anywhere for 40 years. You are going to be going to whatever school has an opening for you. You are going to be making very little money, and you are going to have to hope that things work out. He gets to me and I say, well, it's always been sort of my plan to be a professor so that I would have time to write novels because that's what I wanted to do is I wanted to be an author. And I said, and the other thing I would love to do is consult on media productions, whether that's video games, movies, TV shows. I would love to be one of the guys that gets called into the writing room and they say, hey, we're doing a show about Vikings and we need to know, you know, would it be appropriate to have them in England in the year 750 A.D.? And I can say, no, that's 40 <laughs> years too early. You're going to need to wait. I would set it, you know, if you want like early Viking period in England, let's talk 795 to 815. Like, Netflix needs to hire you because they, <laughs> I, I mean, would love that. I think all the, all like the Roman people were, were black in, in one of the, <laughs> it's like, I was going to say, yeah, somebody, yeah, somebody, please, I know they just did that with like some, Cleopatra, uh, uh, I believe it was like, or, I don't uh, it wasn't even just that. There was another one. There was like a, a, a Viking, mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, that it was, they cast uh, it as a black woman. It was insane. Hawk and the Good, who's like unimportant one. Uh, <laughs> it's not. Yeah. That's not like a random Viking chieftain. That's the guy who converted Norway to Christianity. Uh, no so, big deal. Yeah, and he also lived way before Leif Erikson, which pisses me off enough about that show. Uh, like we're talking about, I think nine twenty five to nine thirty six was his reign. Leif Erikson yeah. was like the 980s onward uh this is why i can't watch i can't watch anything on on netflix everything on netflix like it's like every time a documentary comes out i'm like it's not a real documentary it's like some form of just uh uh brainwashing or or purposeful disinformation Mm -hmm. it's it's they have a whole thing sometimes it's not even purposeful just random like random disinformation maybe just to irritate people It's a lot of it really is just that people, they don't know. They go on Wikipedia Mm. and they're like, ah, 
what does Wikipedia say? Well, as long as I'm close to that, it's like Wikipedia's angle is, well, as long as I'm close. So <laughs> you're saying, well, as long I as I'm close to the guys who went, as long as we're close. I think you're giving them more credit than they deserve. I don't think they look anything <laughs> up. They could just, they're just saying it. And then what they can do is they can plug in different ethnicities and then they, they hide behind this sort of like um, racial justice barrier. And then it's like, well, you can't create, it doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter how historically inaccurate it is. We have I just realized it gives us total creativity. Dave, we're doing it wrong. We need to become social justice warriors on this show. So whenever someone's like, Hey, listen, that's, oh, that didn't yeah. happen. It'd be like, actually, I'm Spanish, so you can't say that. <laughs> all the Nephilim were black women. Uh, all right, so, so let's all right, let's let's start. Um, actually, back on you know track. what? I really do. In, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's get back to because uh, we don't have very much longer. And I wanted to get your thoughts on the whole uh, missing four one one. What do you right. suspect is happening here? So that's that's been an interesting one. That has probably been the the position where my opinion has changed the most over the last couple of years. When I went into it, uh, I was first exposed to it via, I want to say Mr. Ballin was probably the guy. Um, he, he told a bunch of the missing forum. One stories did a great job with it. Uh, he's great, great podcaster, very entertaining, um, very good storytelling voice and all of that. Highly recommend it. Um, but he was telling the stories basically as they were written uh, from, from Mr. Ballin and, or not from Mr. Ballin, from David Politis. And there's a website called Strange Outdoors that also records these. I... Uh, the way that they were all appearing, it sounded like they had to all have some sort of supernatural aspect to them. Um, and so we started looking into it. You know, why why is this kid who was at this, this summer camp, why did he disappear and end up 3,000 feet higher on a mountain, two miles away, and why was his skull missing? Seems very odd. You dig down into it. Well, Bobby Beezup was at Camp St. Mallow, which is a Catholic boys camp. This was in the 1950s. Uh, as it turns out, I think four different counselors who were there at the same time as him eventually ended up being caught uh, abusing children. Mm. Um, Colorado was like the center of that whole Catholic priest abuse scandal. So, all right, cool. So well, let's dig in a little further. What else do we know? Well, at the time it happened, it was said that he, the last he was seen, he was down fishing in a creek. One of the counselors said, hey, come up. And then he was never seen again. In 2018, a team went and they interviewed some of the other uh, kids who were at the camp. And a bunch of them clearly could remember, probably the same night, if not earlier that week, Bobby being over at the snack bar, speaking to one of the uh, one of the counselors who was a seminarian, because everybody who was a camp counselor there was either a priest or a seminarian. He was speaking to one of the seminarians, and then they saw him run away very upset, like crying like ran out of the room, like out the door, even. You look at the case of Bobby Beezup. Oh, by the way, uh, after that story aired, a guy came forward and revealed that he had in his possession a child's skull that was given to his father by the uh, guy who ran the camp. What? So you look at that story and you go, hmm, I don't think this was Bigfoot. I think this was, this kid was molested, ran away, got scared, and died of exposure up in the mountains because he was in the Rockies at 11,000 feet wearing a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. You look at that story and it's like, ah, I feel like this one probably has a more reasonable explanation. But then there's other ones. There's uh, Garrett Bardsley, for example. He was with his father on a Boy Scout camping trip. This was in uh, the uh, Wasatch Uintah National Forest. This is about an hour, I'd say, east of Salt Lake City. And they're up in the mountains. 
and he and his dad are fishing at around 8 a.m. It's the, the, first, uh, the first morning they'd woken up at the camp. This was, not, this was not a sanctioned Boy Scouts trip. This was the Boy Scout troop doing it as a private thing together, as you know, fathers and sons trip. Um, Garrett and his dad are fishing. Garrett slips into the water. He gets his feet wet in one of these lakes, decides he wants to go back and change out his socks and shoes because it's just uncomfortable to have wet feet. He's 150 yards from the campsite. The way back to the campsite is basically 75, 75 yards in one direction, turn a corner, 75 yards in the other direction. At no point on the trail are you out of sight of either the dad or the camp. One of them can see you at all times. Garrett actually goes past the turnoff and his dad calls back to him and says, Garrett, you missed it. It's back there. Garrett comes back and his dad watches him turn onto the proper trail. So now there's only 75 yards between where Garrett was last seen and his destination, the campsite. After 20 or so minutes, he's not back from what should have been a 300-yard round trip. So his dad goes and asks at the camp, and he says, hey, has anybody seen Garrett? They haven't. They start looking all over the place. This is Salt Lake City. We're talking Mormon community here. Mormons are pretty intense about community and about family. You have dozens of people who don't even know Garrett, who, have known, who don't know the Bardsleys, up in those mountains searching for him for a week. Nobody finds anything at all. The most commonly cited explanation for this, uh, because it can't be that Garrett was kidnapped. There was just no way for that to happen. He would have he would have screamed. There would have been a sign of a struggle. Somebody would have seen it happen. There was just no way for Garrett to be kidnapped. So the only other explanations are that Garrett ran away, which he had no motive to do, um, and nobody found him. So how far could a little kid possibly get at that time? Uh, he was 12. The other, uh, the other explanation given, if we're sticking with non-paranormal explanations, is that he was uh, grabbed by a mountain lion. Now, mountain lions can approach pretty silently. They can hook their jaws around the back of your head and cut, cut your brainstem. They can prevent you from screaming, and they can basically disappear with a fully, uh, you know, a 12-year-old boy is not too big for a mountain lion to drag off. Unlikely that there will be no blood, but it's possible. The problem is, Garrett was carrying a fishing rod. They never that found the fishing dropped. rod. Yeah. Which means if he was attacked by a mountain lion, he would have dropped the fishing rod. There is no viable explanation, excepting that Garrett's father, like, drowned him and hid the body. Which, based on the way his father behaved afterwards, seems extraordinarily unlikely. Uh, there is no explanation for this that fits within what my understanding of the normal world is. Something must have taken him. What? What can take a human child without them screaming and without any blood? And to me, the only thing that really makes sense is another person. But again, a normal person could not have pulled that off in the way that they did. What does that leave? It leaves something that is humanoid that lives out in the woods that is accustomed to that territory that can move near silently. We're talking about a perfect predator, perfect hunter and something that probably based on how fast Garrett went missing lives underground. Garrett was near a boulder field. He was in the mountains. There's caves everywhere. So it makes me wonder about that possibility. Now, am I going to say that's the Wendigo two years ago? Probably would have. I'm a little bit less certain about what precisely is doing it, but what seems clear to me is that in 
a minority of missing 401 cases, there is no possible explanation accepting that he was taken by feral human beings, Bigfoot, something along those lines. Now, what you believe Bigfoot to be is, is up to you. For, for me, it's, you know, basically a large humanoid that lives out in the forests. Um, doesn't necessarily have to even appear non-human. That's, in my opinion, why we never found a Bigfoot skeleton is because it would be indistinguishable from a large human. And the reason that you wouldn't find Bigfoot hair is because it would be indistinguishable from hominid hair, genetically. Um, so that's where I net out on it. And I think that's kind of, the, uh, the broad, broadly, that's my take on Missing 401 is in a lot of the cases, you find something like Bobby Bezup, where to David Politis's credit, when he came out with the Bobby Bezup story, uh, his version of it, that was before any of this investigation was done and they determined that this was almost certainly a case of child abuse. David Politis didn't have that information. You could argue that he should have gone and gotten it, but he's one man who does not have the resources of an entire news station. So can't can't hold him to, you know, you, you can't hold that one against him, in my opinion. But that is kind of what I see with a lot of this is in a lot of cases, you know, there's there's a good chance that something normal happened, something tragic, but something normal. Every once in a while, something comes along that just doesn't click, just doesn't make sense. That's actually what the video we're putting out on Friday is about, is the, the cases that don't make sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's it's it's weird. And whether or not the body is found also has a lot to do with it, because in some cases the body isn't found, like Garrett Bardsley, Stacey Aris, uh, Tom Messick. But in other cases, like Bart Schleier, the body is found and the body is found in a position it really shouldn't be. Like he was a his job was uh, hunting grizzly bears and tagging Siberian tigers. This is the kind of guy who wasn't going to get crept up on. He's yeah. also an excellent physical condition, excellent health, early 50s. Um, you know, from what I could tell, didn't have a family history of heart attacks, aneurysm, stroke, anything like that. And he just disappears appears he died the very first day he was on a moose hunting trip and you know moose are very dangerous to the average person to a guy like bar schleier a, a moose is a deer like you know it's it's just not this is a guy who bow hunted grizzly bears like kodiak grizzly bears bow hunted he's not going to get crept up on by a moose um the other issue is he was he was torn apart like they couldn't find all of his body and the uh, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police said that he was killed and eaten by a bear. The problem was that when bears don't finish their meal, they leave it in a cache. They, they dig out a hole, they bury it, and they cover it up with dirt, and they come back for it later. They found none of that. There were no human remains in any of the bear or wolf scat in the area. Uh, and there was a case just a year prior to that where a photographer was eaten by a grizzly bear in Alaska, caught the whole thing on camera. Like he, he managed to capture his own death on camera. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's dark. But the thing is when they killed the bear that did it, his clothes were in the bear's stomach. They found no bear scat with clothes in it. They found nothing. So hmm. whatever killed Bart, it left none of the telltale signs of it being a bear, nor of it being a wolf. What was it? Um, you know, some people have argued that he, he did have a heart attack, that he did have a stroke, something like that, that he died and he was scavenged, but there was also no evidence of that. Like there was, there was no, no signs of scavenger animals picking apart his corpse. So it's, you just look at it and you go, okay, I guess, 
All right. I like you- I like to see uh, when when guys like you and uh, one one of our friends Justin from Cryptos of the Corn. He's a biologist. He uh, he does the same thing because he's he's always studying different cryptids, and he'll tell you about cryptids like actual animals mm-hmm. that people thought didn't exist, but lo and behold, they exist. Um, he was he was like that, and then he had a Bigfoot encounter, and he's mm-hmm. just like, I don't really know what to think anymore. You just I'm just kind of <laughs> like lost. You know, well, when, when he says when he said Bigfoot encounter, what was the uh, did he ever describe it to you? He, he did. You'd have to. I I mean. Well, I don't want to mischaracter, mischaracterize what he said. Maybe mm-hmm. David remembers better, but he'll give you the firsthand ex- uh, account of what he said. Enough to change his mind to say, clearly, there mm-hmm. is a Bigfoot. And this is a dude who does this professionally. He's a professional yeah. biologist. So, well, I'm, I'm yeah, he's an incredibly measured guy. If, we'll you hook know, you up. To, yeah, put us in contact. I'd be happy to have him on our show, too. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, He's awesome. like uh, strictly uh, information-driven, a mm-hmm. real... Um, uh, analytical mind when it comes to these sorts yeah. of things. I, what, was I can't his, help, uh, what was his channel? Cryptids, it's of, cryptids the corn. of the Corn. Gotcha. Fantastic channel. Love when you guys. talk to him, ask him about uh, organic UFOs and okay. the upper atmosphere. You're going to have a blast with that. Organic UFOs. Oh, so cool. It's so cool. It's my favorite part of the entire episode is fungal based uh, organic UFOs, I believe he was uh, describing. And it's really compelling stuff. He went off of the movie. Um, or how it related to the movie Up or not Up? I'm sorry, <laughs> that's the, the Pixar film. Yeah, yeah that one. Uh, what's the What's the one? Nope, that's what it was. Gotcha. Uh, where they had sort of an organic UFO uh, uh, situation. Mm-hmm. It was a great movie. But when I hear these things, Aiden, I can't help but think about. And I just wonder. I know we're getting close to the end here, but if you had any thoughts on the situation in Peru uh, with the face peelers, I'm sure this has come across Ooh. your radar. And there's these reports of uh, what the government of Peru called miners, right? So these are miners with technology. Uh, The descriptives that came out, and this whole thing is very strange and shrouded in mystery. And you only get these anecdotal stories that bleed out onto the internet. It's hard to make heads Mm -hmm. or tails of what the situation is. But one of the descriptives was sort of these armored beings that Mm -hmm. had... Um, an aesthetic that is closely resembling Green Goblin from Spider-Man yeah. is the way they described it, although I don't think there was any green involved, uh, and that they hovered three meters off the floor as they moved through the fl- uh, forest, and that they were basically surgically peeling people's faces off. And I don't know what to make of that. I don't jump towards aliens. To me, that sounds like a technology-based thing that... Yeah. that Sounds like um, I wouldn't be surprised if if the more information we got, the more it painted a picture of a military operation or something of that nature. Um, and even a video came out of them retrieving a young girl. I think she was like 15 or something who they they actually intervened and stopped these things allegedly uh, mm-hmm. from peeling her face off around her jaw. You could see that there was these incision marks and she was bleeding Mm -hmm. and she was traumatized. But otherwise the video was just a bunch of shouting Peruvian people. You can't really, you Mm -hmm. don't know what this is. Um, I know that Timothy Alberino, the, uh, the archeologist is very much uh, of the school of thought that this has been a recurring issue for the natives of Peru something Mm -hmm. that they've been dealing with for months preceding the events that we saw popularized on the internet and and that made it to Western uh, media. But when I see things like that, I can't help but kind of 
place that on the same table that I might place something like some sort of sanctioned operation operation rather that's happening in national forests. That's that's a sort of turn that a lot of people take, right? Like something is happening in these nat- uh, national forests, these national parks that um, is being allowed to take place. It is of maybe a governmental nature and you know, they're protected by the fact that this is a national park and therefore people can't really come snooping and you can't launch uh, an investigation in these places that the the woodlands are so dense. Um, But what, what do you, what, what were your thoughts? Did you guys tackle that at all? This Peru uh, event? So I, I didn't, I think when I heard about this, I was actually down at Tim pool's compound. um, If I remember correctly. Uh, and I think I talked to, I talked to Brett and, uh, Phil about it. If I, I think I did at least, um, what I remember, what I remember thinking about reading through it was this seems like humans, um, mm-hmm. that I, this does not sound like aliens and it does not sound like any sort of like monster to me. This sounds like human beings. I never looked too deeply into it because of that. Uh, but I also did not come across the video you're talking about. So it might have been a, a function of when I looked, but yeah, that's, I mean, to me, that, that sounds a lot like illegal, uh, like organ harvesting. Um, I mean, the idea of like peeling someone's face off doesn't have a ton of, a ton of applications. You right. Know? That's that was my thinking about it. It's like, why even do this? And there's these videos of them pulling a body mm-hmm. out of the river and the body has, you know, no face. It's, it's white skull exposed mm-hmm. essentially. And there are a lot of claims that this was essentially someone who died and face planted in the water mm-hmm. and piranhas and things like that had access yeah. to the face, um, which to me checked out. I go, well, that's yeah. that's reasonable, right? If somebody dies and they hmm. fall fi- and their their head is the only thing that lands in the river and their body's just laying there before anybody finds them, mm-hmm. all sorts of aquatic life is going to have at your face. You this is this could right, and so, but then all of a sudden. All of the uh, media outlets that are tackling this, they're all making this correlation as if this is real. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. well, uh, obviously, if it bleeds, it leads. And so there's uh, a, a real... Um, got to pull up this guy. This guy's he's my co-host on my other show. Is this true? Uh, yeah, Wendigoon and I have a show called The Weird Bible Podcast. Okay, cool. Just make his day and say, <laughs> shout out Cole. That's it. Oh, well, yeah, shout out to Cole. And all I'll, right, I'll Cole, go that. away. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it in front of the Weird Bible Podcast, too. I don't care. We're filming that in a couple weeks. Oh, awesome. That's hilarious. He won't stop about he's, Wendigoon. Uh, he will not He's freaking stop. out right now. To the what? point right where now. Wendigoon's awesome. <laughs> I have not, you know what? I've watched like some of his episode, and he's like, have you finished it? And I said, you know what? I'm not going to watch it anymore. I do I do the show, and I like out of out of pure spite, but maybe I will now, because you seem really cool, Aiden. You, just a spite, Dave. You if, you like, if you like the Nephilim stuff, uh, I can actually... Weird Bible. It has its own channel and everything. Weird oh Bible. yeah, no, I know. We know about Wendigo. I'm just messing around because he loves him so much. Every every time we bring up some sort of conspiracy, he's like, "Oh my god, mm-hmm. like Wendigo. And I'm like, "You know what? Oh yeah, just he's talked stop. about all of it. Oh uh, yeah, he, I was he trying gushes. to see. There was one. I'm trying to remember which it was. Because uh, there's a couple of episodes from the show where we talked about uh, Nephilim and um, angels and demons. Yeah, uh, episodes. Here, I'll I'll grab them and I can send them to you guys. Yeah, yeah what's the name of your uh, what's the name of the show again? The one mm-hmm. I do with Wendigoon is the Weird Bible Podcast. 
The Weird Bible Podcast. Okay. All right. Yep. You've got at least one new subscriber. I'm checking that out. Okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, here's uh yeah, here are the two that I believe deal with um Nephilim. Sent them to you in the chat, but awesome. Oh, yeah, but as for the, the aliens podcast. thing, um, I think I, I think the biggest problem we have right now with anything like that is the way that media works and how it's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, something gets out there and there's immediately 150 TikTok conspiracy accounts saying this is what's happening in Peru and, you know, news reports and, and uh, you know, of course, they're, you know, relying on like the National Enquirer as their source. Uh, so by the time it even gets to somebody like me's desk. I'm already like, Oh God, <laughs> you know, and everybody else has already decided some, what it is. Somebody faked a video and now the whole internet thinks it's this like, you know, I, I mean, uh, I'm trying to remember. Oh, a, a great example of this, the MH370 stuff that just happened. I saw, I saw you get in the, in the dirt a little bit. What happened there? What was that about? Ashton Forbes basically posts this video that uh, seems to... Did the mic share lower? It did. <laughs> no, that got higher. Okay, there we go. That's what that was. Um, so I have a standing desk that I only ever use sitting. But uh, yeah, so what happened with that was that I was just scrolling through social media. I was on Twitter and I come across a post by Ashton Forbes that's like, here's a video of NH370 being sucked into a wormhole. And I went, I know next to nothing about this i was 16 when it happened that's it that's that's i remember a plane went missing and everybody was confused because they didn't find any of the debris for a while uh so it was just disappeared for like two years um and i i comment or i re, i re, retweeted it and i said you know i know very little about this but it i'm intrigued should i not be intrigued a lot of people are like you should be intrigued so I reached out to Ashton and I said, hey, do you want to come on the show and talk about this? And he said, sure. Uh, we planned for November 19th and I planned that the Friday before that we would put out a video on MH370 as a primer and also so I could go back and learn and study and see what came up. Uh, we did that and we talked primarily about the story and why we don't like the official narrative. And then part two was quick recap and the conspiracy theories and why we like or don't like them. The one that I liked the best was this was a lithium ion battery fire. There were 221 kilograms of lithium ion batteries in the cargo hold of the plane. They were not properly insulated. The way that lithium ion batteries work is that if a fire starts on one, it will rapidly spread to the next one, creating a trained reaction. Uh, And when you're talking about a sealed pack of lithium ion batteries that are all simultaneously on fire, uh, really in any sealed compartment, that's a pressure that's a pressure bomb that is going to go off at some point. Uh, I think that's what happened. I think the fire probably spread to the electrical systems, knocked them out, and the plane went down. Um, you know, that's, in my opinion, the reason that it was kind of like so weirdly handled by world governments and media is that that's pretty embarrassing oh, for the FAA. Yeah, like, that's kind of like, uh, especially when everything's trying to move into this uh, like electric you know, that's mm-hmm. the direction. Go green. Right. This is like the same thing that I saw happen. I believe it was in New Jersey. We had a big storm. A bunch of Teslas ended up when they first got rolled out. Something went wrong and like all of the Teslas exploded in yep. fantastic fashion, like devastatingly. And yeah. so, yeah, when you're trying to tell everybody to go green and go electric, maybe you do just <laughs> maybe that's why the MH. What is it? 370. That's yep. why it gets buried. 
is because of climate change activists. <laughs> How so, awful. <laughs> yeah, in, in a way, that's kind of what I think happened is like for some reason or another, this lithium ion battery fire screwed up somebody's plans. Um, and at the very, you know, in, it could have been as simple as like, oh God, if people find out about this, they're never going to fly again. Um, mm. if, if people find out that we've actually been allowing people to fly with bombs in the cargo compartment, then who's going to ever trust the FAA, the uh, United Nations Civil Aviation Authority, like all of these different groups who two years later in completely unconnected fashion banned the carrying of lithium ion batteries on passenger planes uh, over certain amounts. You can have like your cell phone in the cabin with you because it's very easy to put out one lithium ion battery, very difficult to put out an entire cargo hold full of them. Um, so you can still have them in the cabin. You just can't have them anywhere that is not uh, accessible by the crew, such as the cargo hold, which during flights is not accessible to the crew. So I think that that's most likely what happened to the plane. What happened with Ashton was that at the end of our second video, we kind of went over his the videos he had shared and we were very careful to not say this is Ashton's theory, to not say these are Ashton's videos. We were basically like, Ashton Forbes put this information out, and then we went and talked about the information with leaving Ashton entirely out of it. And the reason we left Ashton entirely out of it is because we disagreed with him, and we didn't want him to feel like we were coming for him. We were piling up. We weren't. We we had a professional disagreement with the guy. I uh, And that was based upon the fact that my co-host, my editor, Aiden, was able, we're both Aiden, um, he was Quite able confusing. to, yeah, replicate the effect. At least one frame of it. He was able Wait, to replicate in a do. Were you the guys? Premiere. You the guys who debunked those videos? So we we were one of the groups who did. Um, Interesting. We did not have the most complete one. Ours was basically, hey, here's the the thermal video, um, and we took the animation of the the wormhole opening up that was allegedly fake. Uh, and then everybody come out and said, this is an asset from a 90s video game. And the asset, the asset mostly matched at first when nothing had been color corrected at all. Uh, but it definitely wasn't exactly the same prior to any color correction, uh, which is what I said to Ashton on the live show. And so when we go to do the video, Aiden wanted to take a crack at it, see if he could figure it out. So he changed the tint and the saturation to remove all color. And when he removed the color and it just turned to black, a lot of the little imperfections that didn't match disappeared completely. And the end result was that you had a single frame, at least, that was a perfect one-for-one -one match to what was in the video. Now, the likelihood of that is astronomical. There's almost no chance that you're going to have something that happened in real life that was caught on video perfectly match a designed asset from a lab for even one frame. What game is it? The asset you said it was from a, a it game. Was, it was from an asset pack, like a basically a royalty. You went, and you bought the asset pack and you had no royalties. So these, these are okay. effects that have been used oh, in okay. multiple movies and video games throughout the nineties and early two thousands. I think one of them, one of the items in the pack was used in star Wars. Like, so mm -hmm. he matched one frame perfectly. The reason he didn't go on and match all five frames perfectly is that he didn't feel like it was necessary. <laughs> um, yeah. Just because of the likelihood uh, and he didn't have time. 
So we were in the process of actually doing all five and matching all five frames perfectly so we could show people a video where it was just layered right in and see if they could tell the difference. Uh, then, then it basically came out that, yes, the videos were in fact fake. It was proven they were fake. The assets were, the, the original source assets were posted. Ashton admitted he was wrong. Um, but, you know, he's still in the process. And I remember saying to him, I remember saying to him privately, hey, I like what you're doing. I like the passion you have, but you got to make sure you're you're careful that you only say stuff that you can you can really provide evidence for or that you can at the very least say, hey, it was reasonable at the time for me to believe this, given the information that was available. And I said, you just need to be careful. But if you if you make sure you follow those two rules, you will you will be fine no matter how this ends. You will have established yourself as somebody who can do investigative content and you can be in a good place even if you're wrong. Right. I mean, still he what the he did was that. <laughs> right. And that's where, I mean, what the work he did was incredibly extensive, mm -hmm. the hours that he put in. But if he would have gone the route that you described, you still have this credibility as someone who's willing to beat the analytics to death, which is what mm -hmm. we need in this realm of like the unknown, right? With yeah. all these different accusations and all these different claims being thrown around to have somebody who's willing to tear things apart on such a minute level is, is exactly what you want. But instead it seems that I suppose when you put that many, it's the same thing. You go to a university and you dump in all of this money. You, you become indebted, you put in countless mm -hmm. hours and now it's very hard for you to say, actually the information that I was fed was, was wrong. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's time invested that makes it almost part of your identity. And for him, uh, it, it certainly was, he became synonymous with that, with that theory. And I mean, still to this day, I look at it and I go, damn dude, that was awesome. Like what mm -hmm. you did was awesome. The work that you put in was awesome. It's a shame mm -hmm. that it, you know, it can't be recognized as that. Yeah. It's you, you, that's the, 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 the difficult part of all of this, the style of content creation is when you are talking about the unknown, there is always a chance that what you're talking about will become known. Like, and then you've got to be prepared to deal with that because you might be wrong. And for a very long time, I was I was kind of in the same position with Missing 411 where I was like, no, I, I'm, I firmly believe this and I will prove it. And it just got to a point where there was an overwhelming amount of evidence that the exact belief I had was wrong. And I had to go, all right, well, based on what I have here, I still don't feel like this is something mundane and normal. I feel like there's something going on here, but I got to revisit. I got to look back. I got to say, all right, you know, what did I miss? Where could I have been better? Uh, you know, where, where did I make a connection that wasn't there? And is there another possibility? And unfortunately, that's, I mean, that's, that's hard on your ego. <laughs> To go, yeah, I was I was wrong, and now I'm going to make a video where I say I was wrong. And that video where I say I was wrong is going to be seen by more people than the video where I was wrong. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> It's good for you as a person. How, how old are you, Aiden? 26. And it's good for you as a person, as a man, um, to... Well, it doesn't really matter what you're doing, whether you're dabbling in front of a huge, mm -hmm. you know, 370,000 people audience, or if you're just being, like, raising your kid, you yeah. know? Even with your girlfriend, you're going to be wrong sometimes. And being able to kind of eat shit a little bit is yep. super useful 
So, you know, it's unfortunately it's sink or swim for the people who are in this kind of realm that are doing this. We're going to be wrong all the time. Clearly, I'm going to be wrong way more than you're wrong, Aiden, because we don't know what we're talking about. I'm going to be and, wrong if it's anything regarding math. So, <laughs> yeah, or electricity. We already like we have no idea. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's it's a great it's a great lesson to take away and be like, yeah, you know what? I can be wrong and we can still continue to search and have an open mind, especially with people like you in this field. It's like you're the, you're the kind of person that they should be the general population should be looking for. Someone Thanks, who's I like that. might be wrong, but let's find out what the hell happened or like I'm open, you know, I'm open to see what what's going on. I love that. I personally love that in content creators or just people in general. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's that's all I want to do is there's there's weird stuff out there and I I just want to find out what it is. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I think that that's one of the things like, you know, the show is called Nephilim Death Squad, but we tackle all topics. Nephilim Death Squad, I think, is just a banger of a name. It yeah. just hits hard, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think the in content creation, one of the worst things that you can do, especially in content creation related to the unknown, is to like pigeonhole yourself as mm -hmm. the the missing plane guy. Yep. Or, or just the, the Nephilim guy or the whatever guy. It's like, because you're somehow tying your identity into a theory and that mm -hmm. theory is going to evolve over time. And if you're intrinsically tied into it, that means that you're going to be forced uh, to, to sort of become part of the public image of that theory. And that's a strange place to be. And there's no reason to be there. There's no mm -hmm. reason to be there. You're not the information. You're just exploring it. And, and right. it's, a real tricky thing to do because these things are were certainly previously more difficult to explore, but now, uh, you know, the, the climate has changed a little bit, but because they're sort of taboo subjects in the first place, the last thing you want to do is become synonymous with one or the other. Exactly. The, the one thing I will definitely say is to anybody interested in making this kind of content or doing independent research, the, the value of a JSTOR subscription it is $20 a month. The amount of access you get to the actual academic source that's being cited is priceless. I mean, it is, there have been so many situations where I read something that somebody like somebody said something out there and I went, Hmm, weird. What's their source? Oh, it's from a journal article. Went and read the journal article and nope, <laughs> it's not what it says at all. Just, utterly invaluable mm. many such cases man yeah. but uh i think that that's actually a great place to leave it because sure. i have some things to do in um an hour we got to be back on for another two hours we're going to be on with uh oh, josie wow. yeah josie the redhead libertarian oh, we're doing a spaces <laughs> yeah i mean it, listen if you want to hop in hop in it's a spaces about the paranormal so bring your a game Ooh. motherfucker we're talking about high strangeness and we want to have you know you people that whoever's listening call in we're, we want to we want to hear what you have to say maybe aiden could be there and just debunk you in real time which would be amazing like this I, guy's about it. I got i got my own my own show at seven but i might be able to, to pop in for a little while there and uh we it's we've gonna be have, a lot of fun we've got a loose confirmation from both shane cashman and and oh tony merkel that they they may pop in and just share some stuff with us. So I got, yeah. I got some beef with Shane. Oh, really? <laughs> no, no oh real beef. Goodness. No real beef. He doesn't <laughs> he's, even know who I am. Aiden is one of the just, Aiden's one of the bears. He's one of the bears that was on, <laughs> on the edge of his property. Do you have a bear suit? 
I do not. There was just uh, there was one thing Shane said on Timcast like a year and a half ago that I just shook my head and was like, "Damn it!" <laughs> was it about the clouds? The clouds aren't. I real. can't remember what it was. It was such a long time ago. It was not real beef. I was just like, "Oh God!" I mm. <laughs> like I wish you hadn't said real. that. Uh, <laughs> clouds are not real. What? <laughs> oh, this is yeah. It's a, it's a whole oh, thing. God. All right, that's for another time. <laughs> Yeah, you got a lot to learn. (laughs) So let us know and let everybody know one last time, Aiden, uh, where they can find your work and then we'll get out of here. Sure thing. Uh, Sorry, my dog is sitting on the chair behind me. So I'm going to move my books. Uh, Yeah, so I am Aiden Mattis. I am the host and lead researcher of a channel called The Lore Lodge. I am also the guy behind The Weird Bible, The History Hut, my own personal channel, uh, Aiden Mattis. And you can find me any of those places. You can also find me on Twitter at Aiden Mattis or at the Lore Lodge. Uh, actually, it might be at Lore Lodge. It's at Lore Lodge. And also, um, I'm basically everywhere is at the Aiden Mattis or Aiden Mattis. Awesome. I got to follow your personal account, but thank you again for coming on. Uh, I'm always baffled when like people, very smart people, people with large platforms decide to talk to us. Uh, <laughs> thank you. You dropped some knowledge on us and I'm very appreciative. Hopefully we'll see you a little bit later and uh i'll I'll try and stop in hell yeah thank you man all right all right guys we'll catch you in an hour see you later the greatest hypnotist on planet earth is a oblong box in the corner of the room it is constantly telling us what to believe is real if you can persuade them that what they see with their eyes is what there is to see because they'll laugh in the face of an explanation that portrays the bigger picture of what's happening. And they have.